right, and welcome back to Comics Exchange, your friendly neighborhood podcast. To my left, we have the Thunder Lizard, Ryan. Oh, Thunder Lizard. Lizard. Yeah. A little callback to the old uh, BRB. <laughs> nice. And, of course, the owner of Knoxville's longest-running comic shop, Mr. Bill Langford. 24 years and running. Yes. Wow. And this is our Sweet 16 episode. 16. Remember that MTV show? Was that Sweet 16? There was Sweet 16, and I even remember it. I was, you know, the, just absolutely hating mm-hmm. those people. Because wasn't the premise, it was it was a girl and it was her 16th birthday. Yeah, and then she would get mad because, like, the Porsche was the wrong color. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, w- just, I wanted Arabian ponies. It kind of let us know where our future was hidden with social media influencers. Ah, yes. Sweet 16. Because they were terrible people yeah. that we put up on a pedestal. And it's happening now. I mean, there's good social media influencers. Right, right, right. I'm sure. But there are a lot of, like, just horrible people. <laughs> yeah, I always talk about how I really think reality TV was the clear precursor to this social media behavior as well, where it's just people are just full of themselves in their heads. It's crazy. Yep. Oh, it's so bad. I like that Logan Paul. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he was great at WrestleMania. He had a good match. But uh, but no, you may be right. I remember um, just a quick story. When my daughter was in elementary school, they did that thing, and every elementary school does it, where they had the second graders fill out the form, and it's like, what's your favorite food? Pizza. What's your favorite band? Lady Gaga. You know, yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. And, and Lady Gaga's not a band. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying these, these were the kind of responses that I was Dumb seeing. Kids. And um, so, of course, I, I'm, in, I'm going down the hallway, and, and the teacher has, she's taped all the responses, the kids' responses up to the wall so the parents can see what all the kids were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going down, I'm looking, and it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And three kids put social media influencer. Wow. I think, well, I take it back. Two YouTube star, one social media influencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now these are second graders. Yeah. You know, not one veterinarian. Where's the veterinarian? You know? Our astronaut. Yeah, no, there were no astronauts. No. But yeah, there were three social media influencers by second grade. That they, That's when they when they grow up, that's what they wanted to be. They want to be YouTube superstars. So it's, it's attractive, yeah. you know? You yeah. The, well, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, cultivating that following is hard. Fair yeah. enough. I have to say that because I do your social media. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, no, social. I got to make Bill think I'm worth what he gives me. No, that's, it's that's hard, a, Bill. That's, a, that's his opening line when he comes in and asks for a raise. <laughs> He's like, I just want to let you know, this is a very hard job. Now, speaking of birthdays, last Wednesday was mm-hmm. my nephew Parker's eighth birthday. Oh, Happy birthday, Parker. Happy birthday, buddy. Happy birthday, Parker. Yeah. And we went the Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, dear uh, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, it's been a minute since I've been in a Chuck E. Cheese. I think it was that's, like that's your... That's good. That's probably yeah, a good thing. I think it was your 50th birthday. I think. Oh, what? <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese? Um, but it's so crazy now how modernized they made it. First, the animatronics. Yes. Gone. Uh-huh. What? There's no more animatronics. Okay. It's now None? like this it's, wall it's a, of screens. It's a video, yeah. That plays music videos featuring Chuck E. Cheese and the crew. It loses something. Mm-hmm. It does lose mm-hmm. something. Yeah. It was crazy how packed it was, though. Okay. Really? Like, I felt like after COVID, they probably were going downhill, even though I guess that ghost kitchen thing saved them. Oh, you were telling me about uh. where they can uh, they can sell pizza under a different name, right? Yeah, and that's what they were doing. They were... So uh, weird. So, you know, Chuck E. Cheese has weirdly a lot of lore mm-hmm. <laughs> behind its character and why there's a rat running a mm-hmm. restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, the main chef's name is Pascali. Pascali. And he owned a... <laughs> of restaurant okay. that the orphan runaway Chuck E. Cheese would sleep in the f- top of his uh, restaurant. And then R- Pascali said, hey, 
you can sing. Why don't we hook up together? And then the rest is history. But what they were doing was they were going underneath <laughs> Pascali, which sounds like a fancy name for an Italian restaurant, right? Pascali's. Right, yeah, it does. So people would order it and then get the pizza and go, wait, did I just pay $30 for a Chuck E. Cheese pizza? <laughs> you, yes, you did. You yes, absolutely you did. did. Wow. Yeah. And you tipped that driver $4. But I can tell you, I my heart goes out to anybody that works at a Chuck E. Cheese. I, I I think it would kill me. So last time I I went, I remember when I walked in, they they stamped both my daughters with this ultraviolet kind of a stamp. Yeah. And then they stamped my hand. <laughs> my mom was mad about it so. and, and <laughs> because she had to get stamped. Yeah, and I was like, Mom, this is actually a good thing. Right, because that way, no, the the kids couldn't leave unless they, I was with them, and and they checked yep. my stamp against their stamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess at one point. There was some rampant child swapping theft going so, on at yeah. Chuck E. Cheese, and, and well, to curb yeah, that, you they have to say to... whose party you're here for. You can't just motion in the general direction of kids. <laughs> the ones with the balloons. Yeah. I'm here for those guys. Yeah, yeah. but they gave um, my nephew and my niece these things that let them play all the video games and games for free, right? And it was funny. They had this mm-hmm. one where you have these two. You have this water gun. Okay. And you're supposed to shoot at the ducks and get the ducks back in the hole. I played it many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My niece decided. Yeah. To double barrel, so she had both guns. Oh, is that legal? I guess so. She was like Punisher, nice, like uh, just shooting, but not even trying to hit the ducks, like shooting ahead of the ducks to get water everywhere. Oh. And she was just sitting there maniacally laughing. That's what I'm trying next time. Yeah, I'm not even going to go for the tickets. I'm going to go for maximum carnage with the water. Do you kind of feel good that your kids are now kind of outside of the Chuck E. Cheese age? Yes, because we would go to Chuck E. Cheese, and they would want to win the tickets to get the prizes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think at one point, we had accumulated, I want to say it was a little bit under 87,000 tickets. Oh, whoa. And we were able to get, I think, two Chinese finger cuffs and some plastic <laughs> sunglasses. <laughs> nice. So I, at that point, I realized, I, I said, inflation has hit Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And it's it's not worth, I, I, can't, I, I couldn't even tell you how much money I spent to get the tickets. Now, the first time we had went, when my, when my nephew was three, mm-hmm. my nephew was free out by the whole thing right sure and one thing they do is they take the birthday people over and they have that chamber that they put it in and then they shoot up all the uh tickets i I love that and you can grab as many as you can right yes parker freaked out he was not having any of it so my brother got in there instead got in there instead of course and the chuck e cheese people were mad no and my brother said no there was no rules against this that's a legit move (laughs) yeah because parker was freaked out yeah. Now this the, time, Parker was okay with it all. The first thing you have to do is smash the tickets up against the glass when yeah, you're yeah, in the yeah, when yeah. you're in the thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. While they're floating around you, but yeah, that's that's a good strategy. Any any person, any grown person is going to want to get in that thing. It looks like it's a blast. But I can tell you now, being there to see when Chuck E. Cheese came out to say hi to all the kids, mm-hmm. I've been blessed enough to see Hulk Hogan live, yes. The Rock, Ric Flair, Stone Cold, yes. and that was nothing near the pop that Chuck E. Cheese got when he came out. Yeah, I think like this that, one kid went straight, like running at him, giving a big old hug. One kid was mad that it was Chuck E. Cheese and not Munch. Oh, uh, but, wow. but Chuck E. got such a pop. Now, why do you think Chuck E. Cheese got over, but Showbiz Pizza uh, went bankrupt? Because if you remember, Showbiz had the exact I same think concept, Chuck right? Chuck E. Cheese actually Showbiz, sued Showbiz. Did they? Because Showbiz had, had animatronic animals yeah, also. Yeah, I think that's why Chuck E. Cheese sued him. 
But they didn't have a rat, did they? I watched a whole special about this, actually. <laughs> from John Oliver? <laughs> no, no. Oh. It's from um, A Secret Galaxy, one of my mm-hmm. favorite okay. internet videos on YouTube. Absolutely love it. But they, well, they, uh... they were the same company for a while, and they split off. There's all sorts of civil really? war going on with different owners. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm going to go over here and make my own version of it. And they, then they kind of fought for a while. Then they merged again together when they both started kind of going sideways from oversaturation. It's a whole deal. Because Showbiz had Billy the Bear, right? I think it... Yeah. And that they played that like that they had that jug band. Yep. Like, kind yeah. of all Chuck E. Cheese is ruthless. Man, <laughs> now <laughs> you one, rat. one thing I did notice too um, is this is because John Oliver actually did a twenty-minute special last week on Chuck E. Cheese. Really? On the actual episode on HBO, it was about HOAs. Okay. But he said, you know, if you're a Gen Z or millennial, you're probably never going to own a home. So I want to do a special <laughs> thing for you. <laughs> so they did a special twenty-minute thing on Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And he said the thing that was the craziest. And this is actually a whole YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Chuck E. Cheese fights, like uh, Inside where the Chuck parents e. Cheese. will yes. just like go after each other. Oh. I don't know if they still do, but they used to also serve beer in Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. And mm. <laughs> I think they might. Yeah, and you know how. Some Only reason parents... I say that's because last time I was in there, there was a woman who came by, and you know, hey, when you put your tokens in the cup, yeah, and she tried to swipe my cup. What? And so when I called her on it, she smelled uh, She smelled strongly of alcohol. Okay. They and don't so even do tokens anymore. She was like, I'm sorry, I thought it was, that was the wrong cup. And she, mm-hmm. may, she may have been. She could, very well could have been drunk. I'm sure but, she uh, was. But yeah, <laughs> she came by and, and tried to uh, swipe my tokens. I can tell you right now, if I worked at that place, I'd be drunk all the time. <laughs> now, where does Chuck E. Cheese fall in with the Bud Light controversy? That's my question. Here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I can't go back. There was an incident where... <laughs> oh, that's the... No. doesn't sound well, good. <laughs> no, no. I can go back legally. Legally, okay. I can go back. Okay. Just philosophically, it's against my morals. Mm-hmm. But there was an incident where when Coraline was young, she got... She went up in that little habit trail that they have. Okay. So, you know, there's the ball pit and there's a little... Th- they got rid of the habit trail. Did, okay, good. Because you I imagine... Thinking, are you thinking main event? No, no. This is this was probably... This was definitely years ago. So, they okay. probably got rid of it during COVID. Okay. But at one point in Chuck E. Cheese, they had that habit trail that kids could crawl up in. Okay. And, uh, and Coraline got petrified and oh. would not come out. Oh, no. And so, I had to take my shoes off and climb in there <laughs> and, uh, and coax her out of the habit trail. <laughs> and so, you know... I was, I was sitting there and you know, there was a kid that was kind of coming at and I, I had to kind of explain myself to the kid. I was like, listen, I'm only in here to, to get my daughter. You're you like know. the kid version of the guy who tries to get people to not to jump off of buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Try to talk them down. Yeah, just you come know. out of the ball pit. It's okay. We got toys out here. Yes, yeah. We have 88,000 tickets. <laughs> Miss Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> but no, it's a, uh, but ever since then, I, I don't think I've been, I think that was the last time I went to a Chuck E. Cheese. And mm-hmm. anytime um, parents would schedule birthday parties there, I would yeah. find an excuse to, Not to uh, have to go. Correct. Yeah. I think this will probably be the last time I have to have ever set foot in a Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> unless my niece, she's a uh, five. And yeah. if she has an idea, you know, gets the, gets the idea in her head to go get some more of that, shoot those ducks again, right. I'm sure we're going to be back at a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this one last thing. What was their arcade selection like there? Is it mainly just like the duck shooting games now? Do they still have like the uh, classic games? They still have some classic games. It's awesome because I try to convince them, my nephew and my niece, to play the Ninja Turtle four-player game. They had that. They had, It's the Nickelodeon Ninja uh, Turtles. Right, right. Um, but they were like, I don't I don't think we're going to be good at that game. I was like, you're going to be great. Yes. And then I tried to get them to play the Jurassic Park and the Halo game, and they didn't want to do that. They wanted to... What were their favorite uh, games? Their, uh, well, Parker's... Was and he didn't. He wasn't good at it, but it, my brother is. I don't know. He's he's just really good at these things. Mm-hmm. The, the claw games. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I have no idea 
how he got as good as he did, but <laughs> he was like, which one do you want, Parker? Green. He got it in the first try. What? Yeah. And then uh, my niece was like, I want the pink one. Got it in the first try. Master yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a master level. If there's ever like an Olympics for claw machine, <laughs> my brother's got to be there. No, and those are difficult games. Yeah, but it seemed like there was a mixture of the games. A lot of it was just where you would get one shot to press the hammer, see how far you would go, and that was it, the game. But yeah, they gave all the kids got free games. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's why you have a birthday party there, right? I mean, if it's not, it's definitely not for the pizza. No. <laughs> no, not, no, not the pizza. <laughs> it's not bad. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pascal. <laughs> Well, well, we got a, we got a bunch of news yeah. here. I, you know, Pascal's great and all, but we got all sorts of stuff to talk about. But we, uh, we hopefully, Dynamite Comics in a while. will do a Pascal-y book. Oh, <laughs> the Pascal verse. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's been a minute since we've um, had an episode. Mm-hmm. The plan, though, is you're going to get three weeks of episodes leading up to Free Comic Book Day, May 6, two thousand twenty-three. Wow. Right. So we're looking forward to having some of the local shop owners in town kind of come and t- you know tell their story as far as if they have a. Um, a cool story as far as how they started, uh, what got them into comics, something that uh, their store is doing or something cool that their store is promoting. Yeah. But just a way to uh, kind of promote solidarity among some of the stores in town. and That's really awesome. Yeah, and try and spread the word. And the rising tide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just yeah. you need to get some more people into the hobby, and um, especially in the last 20 years with all the movies and TV shows, it's, it's seen such a new influx of, um, of people that, there's a lot of new voices out there and people that want to add to the conversation. Yeah, we have people that just opened stores in the last mm. like month. We have yep. people that opened mm. right before the pandemic who mm-hmm. bought stores from other people. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a ton of stories out there, and we're going to share them. Yeah. Knoxville's, and that's one thing. Knoxville's always had a healthy amount of comic book stores. So when I moved here, I think there were six or seven comic stores in the Knoxville area. Wow. And even now, Knoxville has more stores than Nashville, Chattanooga. Even Atlanta, I think Knoxville's got more stores. Than- that's always weird to me. That's always the thing when people say, oh, it's a dying industry. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not. If a mid-sized town like Knoxville and the surrounding area can support like five or six comic shops. Right. Yeah, and yeah. none of them went out of business during COVID. No, no. I would be more worried if I turned around and I was the last comic store standing. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, good, I've crushed all my competition. But no, it's not good because you don't want to be the last blockbuster standing on the block, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think, too, is good about Knoxville here is it seems like healthy, if you want to say competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everybody does work together. Yeah. yeah. My experience has been uh, throughout the last 20-something years, uh, every store has really gotten along, um, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, I, I, think, I think, is excellent. So, yeah. So, three episodes in a row. Yes. Yes. So, we're going to, yeah, yes. Like, a, this is going to be like a uh, our Iron Man of podcasting here. Yeah. We're Man, sick. we're going to be sick of each other after three <laughs> weeks of episodes. <laughs> You're yeah. going to be tired of looking stuff up. <laughs> I'm always ready, man. I got Google. Woo. Not Bing, though. No. Not Bing. Bing. Poor Bing. And um, we're going to do something fun. I don't know if this is going to be a regular thing, but we're doing something. We're doing an after credit scene tonight. Ah, that's right. We are. Uh, we know that we have a lot of wrestling fans out there, but, you know, we also have a lot of people that aren't into wrestling. Uh, we have the WWE sale to talk about, which is so huge. I feel like we have to talk about it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But I don't want to be divisive for anybody, so we're going to do the post credits. If that's something you're interested in, the wrestling, uh, hang around until after the music, and we're going to discuss that in full. Yep. Vincent Mann and Nick Fury cosplay is going to ask uh, <laughs> Bill if he wants to join something called the WWE Initiative. I loved his new look. Very Howard, very yeah. very Howard Hughes. Very Howard Hughes. Very. I'm gonna 
tie a woman to a train yes. track. <laughs> Snidely whiplash style. Yeah. yeah. But for now, well, let's see. What about Star Wars, huh? We got three brand new Star Wars films announced. We do. So yeah. I think what James Mangold is doing one, right? That's exciting. Yeah, um, that, yeah, I love yeah. Logan. Yeah. So that was the, um, and this is one I think people have been asking for for a while, where it's it's based around Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, at least around that. Well, that actually, era? maybe before that. This is about the dawn of the Jedi, like the very, very first Jedi, like them discovering the Force and how to use it, to my understanding. So even maybe, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going way back. Because they've not had much of that. I mean, definitely not in the movies, but is there a no, lot no. of like lore in the books and everything that kind of focused on this area? I mean, I think what Bill was saying with the Knights of the Old Republic, I think that might be as far back as they went. They might have gone a little further back, but I don't, I don't think they've ever talked about anything of like the true beginnings of it. Okay. And then what was the other, what was the second movie? There's one with Dave Filoni, right? Mm-hmm. That's, he's doing... He's combining all these TV shows into like a crescendo. Um, and then the one that I think surprised a lot mm-hmm. of people on the internet is uh, one that's set 15 years after episode nine, oh, yeah. which is going to bring back Daisy Ripley to play With Ray. Ray. And that really surprised me. It really surprised me too because she did not have the best of experiences doing those three Star Wars movies. Right. So I'm glad she's coming back, and I'm hoping that she'll have good writers. Because I always thought Ray was a good character, mm-hmm. but that trilogy is not the best. So piecemeal. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love it. And maybe they'll figure a way to bring Finn back into it, too, because yes, uh, yes. John Boyega, Boyega. Boyega has seemed to have made peace with Star Wars, too. He's recently came out more positive about Star Wars, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that means they're going to try to find someone to bring him into it. Well, they should. They definitely should. They- I would bring them all back. A lot of rumors floating around that because of how slow the character ages, we might see Grogu. Oh. Teen Grogu Teen from Grogu. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. I would love to, you know, and the um, the merchandising people would obviously love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, because Mandalorian, where does it take place in the timeline? It's after Return. It's after Return before The Force Awakens. It's closer okay. towards uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, okay. And it looks like one thing they're starting to do, which I completely support, is trying to fill in these gaps of the sequel movies and try to kind of salvage them somehow because there's mm-hmm. so many unanswered things. There was so much time that passed. Uh, yep. You know, with the prequels, they did that with the Clone Wars show, and it looks like they're really kind of starting to do that with the sequels, which I, I'd like to see. Speaking of the shows, like the cartoons, like they're spinning it off in the next uh, Star Wars series for Disney+, Plus, right? With Rosario Dawson. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. And what is that? Uh, that's Ahsoka, right? Ahsoka, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't pronounce Ahsoka, so I was trying to get to, <laughs> I was trying to get you to do it, bro. <laughs> it took me like a year to say that right, by okay. the way. Okay. And the big thing with that is I guess one of the the biggest bads that's never been on the um the live action Star Wars mm-hmm. is finally coming out, right? Grand Admiral Thrawn, baby. Yeah. And I guess the cool thing is the guy who played him, the voice actor, is playing the physical actor. Mm-hmm. For General Admiral, Thrawn. Th- Admiral Thrawn, right? Is it Admiral? Grand Admiral? Yeah, Grand Admiral. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh, Show <I> t- some <laughs> respect. I didn't mean to bust him down a rank. <laughs> and then they also announced the Acolyte series. Mm-hmm. Phase, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like going to be centered around a, a Sith storyline, if I'm not mistaken. They don't have anything. I think they said 2024 for that. So that's going to be exciting. And then they said they announced Andor for a fall 2024. Excellent. Good. Yeah. I think and a lot of people look forward to that. The Skeleton Crew. Oh, yeah, which is going to be Jude too. Law. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be, I think they said, more horror-based Star Wars, which oh, wow. is going to be kind of cool. The Skeleton Crew, when's that set? Um, that's a good question. What should I do? <laughs> Look, one yeah. of these days it's going to be on a t-shirt, I swear. Do it, man. I'd buy one. 
Yep. It's going to take place in the same time frame as The Mandalorian. Nice. Okay. And it's going to be interconnected. It's been off after the events of Return of the Jedi. Mm. Jedi. Nice. Okay. Yeah. You know, one thing Star Wars was always known for in the films is condensing a whole lot of time together. Like, mm-hmm. months, if not years, would pass between some of the movies. And even the movies themselves, events are just smushed together. So there's so much time between these events to fill out that mm-hmm. oh, I like seeing that. Yeah. And I think it's good, too, that they're not going to rely as much on legacy characters. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's kind of neat that they're bringing in characters, and then for some people, new characters that never really watched the cartoons, which I think is excellent. And um, I think we're getting the last season of the Bad Batch too. Mm-hmm. Like season three. Uh, my roommate watches it and loves the Bad Batch. Yeah. The um, the toys sell real well. And uh, oh, hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot of Star Wars stuff. It's a lot of Star Wars. It's a lot of Star Wars stuff. It looks like they have a plan, though, which I'm very happy about. You can't say that for the uh, the sequel movies. So to, to see them solidifying some ideas and putting things in motion that they, they understand, I like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I will also mention that I think it's smart that none of these movies are planned as full trilogies. They're not throwing their whole, you know rock in the water to so to speak they're, right. they're, they're splitting it up they're not committing to each trilogy for each of these ideas so yeah standalone movie is a good idea and i think it's good that they're going to start these out like 2024 2025 mm-hmm. which is going to give them time because like granted the last trilogy did well mm-hmm. i think each one made over a billion dollars wow but you could tell like Ooh. people were kind of getting burned out because i think solo didn't do so well that i think it's kind of good that they've waited now like the good five or six years between before they do a movie again mm-hmm. they try to make it more of an event again well, now that things seem to be on a positive spin for Star Wars, let's let's continue the movie news, but let's go dark. Let's go negative. Oh, let's no. talk about Jonathan Major, shall we? We uh, kind of have to. We debated yeah. it. We debated bringing this up or not, but we decided yeah. it's big enough to go ahead and discuss. Um, not to be confused with Jonathan Majors <laughs> <laughs> or or Lee Majors. <laughs> yeah, but um, it is a bit of a sorted web. Nothing's official yet. Um, the most recent news is that his talent agent has dropped him. Yeah, so his talent agents uh, dropped him. Reportedly, Marvel has not really said much about this, but I'm sure behind the scenes, Marvel is taking it day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be uh, because they can't just immediately recast and be okay down the road because they have Loki season two, which is this year, and Jonathan Majors is... He's already shot like three or four episodes, right? Yeah, so... Wow. Ooh, yeah. But for right now... It's uh, that Jonathan Majors was arrested on domestic violence charges in New York City. So it's one of those things that's still an ongoing story of the woman recanting the allegations. The text they they sent out from her does make it sound like something did happen. Mm. But if you go online, you can go to Deadline and read the text. Uh, it sounds like she's blaming herself for what he did. Which is a little, I don't know. And there's starting to come out allegations about behind the scenes when he was doing theater work in New mm-hmm. York. So it's one of those things proven, you know, innocent or proven guilty. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to report on the facts that in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, they may be replacing the actor that plays Kang. Well, and, you know, because Disney had this this bridge to cross before with Johnny Depp, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where the situation arose to where, you know, they, they want to keep him going forward for the Pirates movies. Yep. And Amber Heard had come out. And, and with Johnny, you know, there'd been stories before, you know, with some of his wild partying days. Earlier, it wasn't the first time he'd been accused of. And so, and Disney cut cut him loose. And and now I'm not sure if they're planning on doing another Pirates movie. Well, or yeah, the rumor is that he was still never going to be welcomed back and they were going to go 
into a like a gender swapped uh, um, female lead Captain for the, uh, Captain Jack. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's with Captain Jack the character, but they were going to go into female lead for okay. I guess the new pirates. Uh, but I think all that's stalled right now, and that just becomes the whole thing is like you have to fall. It's just like James Gunn. Mm-hmm. James Gunn, Disney jumped on quickly to fire mm-hmm. him. Um, thankfully, they recanted and brought him back. Right. Um, You're just recanting tonight. <laughs> yeah, but I think, uh, but if they do have to replace Jonathan, who would you see could be a suitable replacement for him? Well, first of all, let me just say that they're in luck because what an easy character to recast is Kang. Yeah. Someone just oh, infinite yeah. copies of the multiverse. I mean, that seems like it would be easy to just to excuse as, as another face that's close. But uh, yep. John Boyega, which I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Uh, he, and then, like, he seems like he's uh, made peace with Disney. Mm, yes. So that yes. would be good. Mine would be, it's from a show called Snowfall. Uh, Damson Idris mm-hmm. um, is phenomenal. And I think he could do the role well. He's not as big as Jonathan Majors. Right. But I think he could do well with the menacing. Because his main, his character, Franklin Saint, is one of the best villains. But yeah, so, uh, like I said, we just felt like this was something we had to discuss because right. it's in the news. Mm-hmm. We'll stay on top of it and just see what happens. I mean, something could happen before our next episode. Well, so we have three episodes coming up, so we're we're going to have it covered. Yeah. Uh, What else we got here? I think, uh, Ryan, you're excited to talk about something coming up with the DC, weren't you? Yes. They're doing a summer event uh, called Night Terrors. Ooh. The one thing, okay, so basically for two months, I think it's July and August, Mm -hmm. all the DC books are going to basically become two-part series um, set in like more of a a horror, uh, it's going to be horror-themed. It's yeah. weird to be in the summer and not like in the fall. fall. The first one's going to be First Blood by Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter, and that ships on July fourth. And are we open on July fourth? What day is that? <laughs> if if it's a Wednesday, obviously I have to be open. Okay. But yeah, it, it depends. Okay. It, yeah. And then they're going to do Night Terrors, The Joker, mm-hmm. with Matthew Rosenberg. That's going to lead into Poison Ivy. Essentially, I think it's going to be the Bat books, the Superman books, and the Titan books. Uh, for those two months are basically going to become like two-part horror stories, kind of like what they did. With Future State? With Future State. Mm. They've done something similar like this in the past. A lot of times they'll do it with their annuals, where all their annuals will be, you know, horror-themed or or monster-themed. I'm okay when they do that with the annuals, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I like this or not. Where it takes over the whole line? Yeah, because like I know with um, Future State... I honestly didn't read any of it. Okay. I just basically took two months off from DC. Yeah. Did you have, like, how were... How, the sales people... were... They were mediocre. Okay. And I think Future State, it turned out... What it turned out to be was what Dan DiDio, who was the ex-editor at DC... Yep. He had had a huge thing planned called 5G. And 5G was supposed to be the fifth generation. It was the next generation of DC heroes. Yep. And it was going to be kind of a younger heroes and... They were going to temporarily take the place of like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. And there was a lot of pushback online among some of the fans. And so 5G kind of got backburnered. And I think they had some of um, they had a lot of it ready to go and they didn't want to waste it. Yeah. And so 5G turned into Future State. Okay. Which in, in hindsight has given us some, a couple new cool characters like Mike was saying earlier. Like who's the character that you really dig? Wonder Girl, a character so, that I would never have thought mm-hmm. I would care about. Great uh, great series, great character. Mm. Yeah. 
But overall, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge success for DC. I think this one will probably go over a little bit better because the fans weren't very receptive to a lot of the newer superheroes. Yeah, and this um, is going to be horror and horror sells. Horror seems to be a, a very popular genre, and it, it um, is weird to do this <clears throat> smack dab in the middle of Dawn of the DC. That does seem mm-hmm. odd. The timing seems odd, but uh, I'm still I, I think it's going to be a success. And I guess everybody that purchases or is subscribed for the books will get. The Night Terror books. Correct. We'll just roll everybody in, unless they tell us otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's good. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. try this one out because this seems more something that's in- intriguing to me yeah. than the Future State did. And it seems like they have good writers uh, attached to the project. Yeah. Josh Williamson is basically becoming like the new Jeff Johns, isn't he? For DC, he's kind of become, yeah. I've got nothing bad to say about him. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's usually bad-mouthing yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. We, we we did some negatives earlier. Yeah. We don't need any more of that negative. Mr. Negativity. Yeah. But um, let's see. You had an incident with a book recently, and I know that a listener of the show... I like Mr. incident. <laughs> you like that incident. word? Yeah. Incidentally, there was an incident. Uh, huh. But a listener of the show, Jeff Cottle, has mentioned in the past that he enjoys hearing behind-the-scenes comic book shop stuff, and I thought this would be a cool opportunity to talk about something when you receive some damaged products. I mean, what's the process here? So there was, there was, um, I think it was an image book called World Tree. By uh, James Tinney. James Tinney's new book, yeah. correct. And so I'd already placed my orders, and we place orders two months before the product comes out, and then we lock in our orders, I think three weeks before, maybe three or four weeks before the product comes out. So I'd already locked in my orders, and I, I got my copies. And then the day before I received my copies, Diamond, who was the distri- my distributor for, for Image, um, they sent me an email saying, hey, just a heads up. There was a problem with the printing quality on the covers of all the copies of World Tree, like the entire print run. Yep. Wow, the entire for so, two for so, two A and D. So right? for the for the A cover, which is the main cover, so that's ninety yep. percent of the print run. Wow. Yeah. And then the D cover was a, a variant, and it was it's a smaller, much smaller part of the print run. Yeah. But anyway, so they said you need to send these copies back, and in two weeks we're going to send you replacements. And so that's kind of the standard for what they do. If something happens is that they'll, they'll try and give you fair warning to let you know not to put the product out for sale. And then they'll say, you know, please send the product back. And in exchange, we're going to send you uh, copies that are fixed. So with this copy, the problem was the front cover uh, was real dark. And there was a lot of it, the image that got kind of hidden. Mm. And so... Um, and it's a big book for image, you know, Tinian's a huge writer and so yep. they want to make sure they get it right. Yeah. Uh, so it was worth, t- it was worth their time and money to go back and do another printing, another press of the book and the pressing of the book. So we'll get replacement copies in two weeks and then in exchange we'll send back the. So, mm-hmm. so there have been some comic stores obviously that aren't ethical like you what? and, uh, cause they're out there like. They're going for a lot of money right now. It's the, the Wild West. Yeah, which is silly because, like you said, misprints usually don't hold value over hold the long value. term. Now, so will image like will will they just replace how many are sent back, or what will what kind of thing do they do here if people don't abide by their um the rule there to send it back to us? Well, so you're not obligated to send it back in the sense okay. that they they don't. In the past, it was a thing where if you sent back 22 copies and they gave you 22 replacements. 
Okay. But now I think the standard of practice is is that they just replace however many you're invoiced for, mm. and they ask you to send them back. Okay. But if you don't send them back, they don't withhold sending you the replacement okay. copies. Yeah. So for anybody that's been looking forward to that book and wondered why we weren't hyping it last week, yeah, uh, that's the reason. But it should be out this. But we'll uh, have copies coming a week from today. Yep, and we're recording this on August eighteenth. Uh, August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> April. <laughs> wow, God. Like a, um, we also time travel on this podcast. Yes, we do. Something that's crazy to me is that they got to the point where ninety percent of the print run was messed up, and mm-hmm. they got to the point where they shipped it. They're like, when did they realize? That? Well, and that's the thing. It, it wasn't even like something on the inside that you would miss. Right, it was, right. It was blatant. It was right on the front cover, Weird. and yeah, you couldn't even see half the front cover. Have they ever done that before, where it's been that soon? After the book's already gone, that they recalled it like that? Yeah, there's been several times. Because this was literally like a day before, right? Like you got the email on I Monday. I got the email, like, yeah, yeah. So there was a couple times when there was one time when an artist hid some anti-Semitic remarks oh, right, right. Into, yeah. into his art. Like an X-Men Gold or X-Men Blue book. And they didn't catch it till like a couple of days before release. And so they sent us a thing, giving us a heads up. And there was another time where a slur made it into a Wolverine comic. Yeah. Um, it happened with uh, Two Billion Genies number two. Where I think the pages were miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think they transposed two pages on. I think it was eight billion genies number six or seven, maybe. And didn't DC do this once before with the Batman issue? No. Uh, where there was, uh, you could see uh, the Batwing. There was a, there was the issue of Batman Dan, which was which was DC's black label book. So DC's yeah, yeah, black yeah. label for DC is like their adult line of comics. But they were still like, we can't show Batman's and uh, um, pow. <laughs> they well, and that's the thing. It, the editors had seen it and they had approved it. Yeah. But apparently, the um, the rumor is is that DC, the movie division, the multimedia division, uh, didn't like it. Okay. Because you know they had the new Pattinson Batman coming out. They had the the Batman cartoon coming out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they didn't uh, they didn't like the kind of the rated R version of Batman because it kind of affected their. So did they try to recall that, or did they? So they didn't recall it, but what they did was they said in the in any future printings, including the graphic novel and the hardback, that Hard. that. <laughs> I see what you did there, Beavis. <laughs> um, they said that it would be uh, it would be redacted. <laughs> and I think they did. I think they made it like more shadowy. So they that's what they did. They they kind of made it a little darker. The darker night. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but that is that is kind of a fascinating thing though. Because it happened like just so quickly with this went the world tree, which that had to kill Image because Image um, huge book for Image yeah huge book for Image obviously they want to get it out on time yeah um so yeah this is I mean I I think it is a setback for the book but um the book's so well written and uh Tinian is um, he's got such a big fan following that I don't, I don't think it's going to affect the book nah, I'm excited for it because I like uh, his Department of Truth uh, good friend Anthony Wilson who will be brought up in our after credit scene too um, uh, I know out, that's sh- his favorite book shout out to A-Train yeah it's a good book but yeah I'm excited I'm, I'm excited for World Tree next week me too yeah and, and look at me I didn't even yeah. try to beg you for for a copy of it before you sent it back which is very unusual <laughs> it is Ron people usually, have Ron, no idea yeah Ron usually gives me the puppy dog eyes and then if that doesn't work he accuses me of hiding the books in the back he switches from good cop to bad cop so quickly <laughs> I am who I I am as God made me but yeah no that's uh, I think it's gonna be a great read yeah yeah I suppose <laughs> this concludes our news segment then. That was a lot to talk about. It was. Well, we've been, uh, you know, gone for a little bit, so. A lot of news to cover. Yeah. 
In our last episode, we left it hanging with a cliffhanger. We talked about our top 10 X-Men artists. Now it's time to bring it around to the writers. Yes. And I think this one, it's going to be a little easier. I think this one's going to be a little easier than the artist. Because we're usually when people get on X-Men runs, they stay on for a while. That's true. Yes. I think we're going to give Bill the first shout-out. We kind of steamrolled him on the artists and took all the all the... All the good ones. <laughs> and what do you think? No, so let, let's lead this off with, with one Mr. Bill Langford. Well, so I, I'm going to say I, I am kind of close to the source material because X-Men was my book growing up that I kind of cut my teeth on. Mm-hmm. Well, you um, cut your teeth on books? So, yeah, we didn't... Uh, my mom didn't believe in teething rings or pacifiers. <laughs> she was... Very, she tossed you a, a giant size X-Men. It was usually like something like an almanac or a Guinness World Book of Records, something thick. <laughs> or but an no. encyclopedia if you kids remember those. <laughs> but no, it was um it was a similar book to my childhood because uh you know, the allegory is true as far as if you're if you any if in any sense you feel you're an outsider, um X Men kind of appeals to you because it's mm. a it's a group that it's 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 a thinly veiled allegory for any type of um outside or marginalized group that you may think of so whether or not you were you're a band geek or you were you know you were like a nerd or you were um the kid that was picked on you know x-men was was that kind of book that you could kind of find like relief in you know mm-hmm. and then you're like oh i'm not the only one there's look there obviously there's all these other kids even though they're fictional yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um that being said uh, Chris Claremont's run is is probably and then I know I'm starting off with um, the heavy hitter, but I'm gonna go and get yeah. it out of the way. Oh, why not? I mean, his run kind of defined what we think of as modern X Men. So mm-hmm. before Chris Claremont, you had the Silver Age X Men, which was Stan Lee's creation. Yeah. And um, you know, Beast had big hands and big feet, and Iceman threw snowballs. Yeah. And uh, Cyclops was useless, which is kind of, so he. he hey, so, hey, well. <laughs> don't man. When we get into best of X Men teams, this will be a heated episode. Um, um, but Claremont kind of he he kind of revitalized that, and 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 especially when with when they brought on the um, the international group of of X Men. So when is you that had, when Chris Claremont started? So his no, run? no, he, he started. So um, it looks like he started from what I'm reading here. X Men number ninety four. He did, um, yes, he did uh, with, I think, Giant Size and X-Men 94. So I think Giant Size came first. So X-Men, basically, sales were so low at one point on X-Men that they were doing reprints. Mm. They weren't even putting out new X-Men stories for about two years. That's crazy. And uh, they wow. were worried if they were even going to come back with X-Men. And there was, um, Marvel was doing Giant Sizes in 1975, 76. 73. Yeah, it was in the so, yeah, early 70s, yeah. And um, and so they did giant size X Men. That's one of the giant sizes, and they introduced a cast of international characters. So you had Nightcrawler from Germany, you had Colossus from Russia, you had uh, Storm from Africa. Yep. And so with that, it kind of took off again, and Claremont kind of breathed some new life into X Men. And then giant size was so popular, including a character from Canada called Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. Um, that they decided to relaunch X Men with number ninety four. Which was so the, the reprints went from like sixty eight, I think, issue sixty eight, and issue they still numbered them the regular numbers. So they but kept they were reprints. Correct. They they kept the numbering, but they were just reprinting issues that they had done six seven years beforehand. That's unreal. Unreal. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, do those and, issues hold any value then? So believe it or not, they do um, because people that are completists, they, since they numbered them like that, okay. they have to have them to complete their run. Mm. Okay. Because they're part of the numbering system. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a sense, you you collect those issues twice. Wow. And uh, reading this here, Chris Claremont has the longest tenure of any Marvel writer on Uncanny X-Men, which is kind of interesting because I thought maybe Peter David with the Hulk, but Chris Claremont wrote Uncanny X-Men 94 through 279, Mm -hmm. came back for 381 through 389, did 440 through 473. Um, Yeah, so he's done a lot of Uncanny. So his earlier issues were his strongest ones. The later ones weren't quite as good. Yeah. And now Chris Claremont, he catches a lot of flack because... um, He's very wordy, very verbose in the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so every time he talks about Storm in every issue, he's like Storm, who has the ability to manipulate the weather. Mm. But he did that because he wrote every X-Men comic like it was the reader's first X-Men comic. He didn't want to assume that you already knew everything about the X-Men. Yep. So to a lot of X-Men readers, the stuff that seemed kind of mundane, and like I already know this about uh, Rogue, um, he assumed that there was someone who didn't. Yeah. And so he would explain it and... But to me, as a kid, growing up learning to read from comics, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid and I would read about Jean Grey, who shares a psychic rapport with Professor X, (laughs) I didn't know what what the word rapport meant. Yeah, yeah. And so I would look up in the dictionary. I'd be like, what is rapport? You know, oh, it means they can communicate with each other. And so uh, for me, Chris Claremont was, you know, kind of... Almost like a, a word a day, you know, kind of when you learn different uh, different words, like a thesaurus. Yeah, and if you think of like the the characters and kind of like, I mean, you think about okay, so when when like Jonathan Tickman comes on and basically resets where everybody's like, oh yes, this is the X Men that you remember. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is based off the Claremont runs. Like a lot of the history from Claremont is the history that follows these characters more than any other writer. It has to be because, I mean, it was like you said, it's the longest run. I mean, it's it's the most career defining run. I mean, he, he really kind of defined who these characters are going forward. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Mike? I don't want to be accused of recency bias. Um, I know there's a lot of older writers that we can definitely talk about, but I want to throw my hat in the ring with Jonathan Hickman, man. I think he's really mm. done some exceptional stuff with the X-Men in a, in a way that is hard to do. He's reinvented so much, and he's made it feel fresh and new. He's had some cool ideas, and he's made it seem like it is one of, to me personally, one of the, the big X-Men stories. It fits in with the whole thing. It's just a new evolution. And to me, it seemed really hard to reinvent the whole thing and make it seem fresh and new and cool and not just tired. And he, he really, like Hickman does, had so, so many ideas. Um, it's, it's sprawled a little bit, but I think they're about to kind of bring it back in with the fall of X, which we'll talk about in a, a later episode. But I'm, I'm going to go Jonathan Hickman. It's just been so impressive to me. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's in, in really the amount of, uh, of stuff he did with X-Men in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Because he just came on, really, with, what, Powers of Ten, House of X. And then stayed on for, like, 22, 23 issues. Afterward, and then left. And so, but I guess they're still kind of working off his his blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is still designed the same way, like how the X-Men books are done today. Mm -hmm. Every X-Book is the same, where you have, like, the story, then a page of just words, and then, like, yeah, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, he salvaged the X-Men books, because they were doing poorly. Yeah, now, that being said, part of that was because Marvel kind of put the kibosh on the X-Men books when they were trying to uh, fight with Fox to get the X-Men rights. Yep. They um, they did the storyline where Scarlet Witch uh, said, no more mutants. Yep. And they, they effectively, they they kind of locked their writers out from creating any new mutant characters that yeah. Fox could uh, could use. It was that they killed Wolverine. 
mm-hmm. they did weird stuff like weird was stuff. it an issue of Punisher where they killed the casts that were playing Fantastic Four except for Michael B. Jordan? Oh, I forgot about that. It was, <laughs> yes, yeah. 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 It's, it's just some weird <laughs> Even stuff. Even with the Marvel Legends, their toy line, uh, for five or six years, there were no X-Men Marvel Legends. Yeah. Where they froze them out of the toy line even. And uh, if you remember, uh, Disney even pushed that Inhuman show on ABC <sighs> as, a, as a bluff to Fox saying, listen, if you won't give us X-Men, we'll make Inhumans X-Men. This is how bad it got. My roommate liked it for some reason and mm. I hated it and he was always like we gotta watch this together but Ryan. you gave it a chance right you I watched did. I okay. gave it a chance and then around six episodes in, I was mm-hmm. like hey Dave you wanna watch this by yourself feel free he goes no no we watch Marvel stuff together <laughs> so I had to go in one day and delete everything off the DVR and told him that the show got cancelled oh. <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore you pulled the uh, yeah. your fish has died this is how <laughs> bad it was yeah. they had 12 issues uh, 12 episodes and Black Bolt was cooler in that Doctor Strange movie he than was. he was in that whole entire run. Like the second episode, they cut Medusa's hair, right? Yeah. Because they didn't want to do the they special effects. They didn't want to effect. do special effects, yeah. Yeah, no, it was cheaper. Uh, my first one here, it's going to be the guy who took over for Uncanny after Claremont left, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Lobdell. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Right. yeah, I think some people don't give him the credit that he deserves because no, he had no, no. like really good artists with him, and I think the artists kind of outfocused. Because I think Joe Majura is also during that run. He was. Um. But I thought he did good writing, and he had that. Um, he did emulate Chris Claremont a little bit with his writing style, mm-hmm. and I, but I think he is kind of underrated. Well, and I tell you, I loved Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He was one of the main architects for that storyline where it was a a world where Apocalypse ruled, where Xavier had died. Yep. And um, Magneto, I guess, kind of took up the uh, the cause, and but Apocalypse was ruling everything. But yeah, it was um, Lovedale is. And he's another one. I think he wrote maybe eight or nine years of X-Men. Like yeah. he, was, he was on the, the book for a long time. Yeah, per this, uh, he did 286 through 350 and then 390 through 393. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I'm going to also uh, throw out, um, and since we're talking about just X-Men books, I'm also throw out the name Grant Morrison. Ooh, oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bastard, I was going to use that. And he, he was... Uh, <laughs> He's one that came on New X Men. Yep. Which we're going to count. We're going to count like Uncanny, New X Men, and X Force. Uh, we're going to do X Force now. Right. Yeah, we're, we are because I'm going to suggest someone from it. So there. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> we, didn't do that we didn't do that for artists. Well, there's a lot more artists. Yeah. So, um, but no, Morrison. Uh, Edit out our. Yeah. <laughs> he did a lot of. In, in, um, this is the thing with Grant Morrison. You may or may not like his storylines, but he has mm. a lot of big ideas. And so a lot of the stuff that he um, he did during while he was doing X Men, other writers have come along later and picked up and ran with. Yeah. So he's good about planning these story ideas, and then they later come to fruition. His swerve with Magneto. Oh, was, in that run was, was like the biggest surprise I think I've ever seen from an X Men comic. Yeah, that one was up there. Um, the thing with uh, Professor X's uh, twin sister. Yep. Uh, the, all, oh yeah! All the different new characters he created. Wolverine sacrificed Phantom himself X, to say uh, to save Jean, Jean Grey when they yep. walk into the sun. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna go with Grant Morrison. If if, if any of you people uh, listening <laughs> haven't had a chance to check out his X Men work, we have most of it in graphic novel in the store. So definitely come by. Uh, free comic book day, by the way. Graphic novels will be fifty percent off. So Woo! good time to good time to load up. And there's on an Grant omnibus, Morrison, right? Do we have the omnibus? I see. Is that right there? The new X Men on the second row. Do you see that, Ron? My yeah, yeah. We have yeah, the new X Men so, uh, omnibus. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
really good because um, uh, one of our top five writer uh, artists, uh, Frank Quietly. Yeah, did a, a good chunk of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Frank Quietly. Anytime you can get a good chunk of Frank Quietly artwork, it's good times. It is worth getting. Yep. Yeah. And right before they ruined the Beast character. You didn't like the... Uh... <laughs> Dark okay. Beast is the worst beast. Okay. All right, Mike, what's another one for you? I guess Mike is going to... We're not just doing Uncanny X-Men and X-Men writers here. Mm-mm. I'm going to use Rick Remender as an oh. example. Now, he, he did write Uncanny a little bit, but Uncanny X-Force, I think, is what really won me over for him. Oh, what a yeah. great, cool run that was. It just felt uh, fresh and new and serious. So it was I'm like gonna, a Black Ops X-Men team, wasn't Black it? Black Ops X-Men team. Mm-hmm. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's where they spawned the storyline with uh, Cable and Hope out of. It was. Okay. Yeah. Which I, I love that series. I love Hope Summers to this day specifically because of that, where we had uh, Cable take baby Hope off into the future and raise her until she was 16 and then mm-hmm. you know bring her back like the day after he left the timeline and now she's a teenager. That, that was a great story. So Rick Remender for me. Yeah. No, it's a good pick. I don't like you for doing that <laughs> but that's okay and i think that was maybe his last um work for the big two i believe so because now he basically does like his own creator on stuff for image mm-hmm. yeah i think you're right yeah um just finished deadly class so good oh cool that's right so like good 60 issues or almost yep. 60 wow. mine is going to be and i just learned out here uh the longest continuous x-men run of the 21st century mike carey oh wow oh yeah huh. um best known for like lucifer for dc vertigo's lucifer right. but he ran the book also when it was uh chris bocello was the artist mm-hmm. and i have a soft spot for him i didn't yep. know he had writ- wrote that much of i think did mike carey come onto the book after the bad chuck austin days it was so i think it went i can't remember if austin was after morrison oh but, man can you imagine like but, Oh, that would yeah. be like having a nice steak and then somebody throws a 59 cent hamburger <laughs> on your plate. <laughs> no offense, Mr. Chuck Austin. Oh, offense. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst run of X-Men history. It's it's kind of renowned. It's, it's almost famous for being a, how bad it is. Yeah. But um, but yeah, you're right. Mike Carey had a, a, a pretty substantial run. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Bocciolo, I think, was one of the artists and maybe yep. somebody else, but... Uh, yeah, his and his Lucifer run was was that's another one. He's when he gets on a book like he's on it for a long time. Yeah, and he did. Um, I don't know if they're still doing it today, but he did a cool thing where the danger the danger room became a person, right? Became sentient. Yeah, sentient. Yeah, yeah. it became danger. Yes. Yeah, because there yes. was one team that he had at one point was Rogue, Gambit, Danger, Legion, and Xavier. That's a freaking great team. It's not a team that you would typically see in an X book. No, no, and that's the thing is that um, after a while you kind of get tired of the same old, same old with X stuff. Yeah. So when someone comes along and does something new like X-Statics or um, like Mike was talking about the Uncanny X-Force, it, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah, agreed. And that's crazy when you can do something refreshing on characters that are about that are celebrating their 60th year this year. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's why I always talk about how why Superman's such a hard character to write. Like, what Superman story hasn't been told now by now? Yeah. It's unreal that the Superman books are good again. Yeah. Yeah. No, a good writer can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. You got any other ones, Bill? So I'm just going to throw out Ed Brubaker. Nice. Okay. Um, and most people may know him from his more independent stuff. He does a lot of stuff with Sean Phillips now. Kind of um, Criminal. Criminal. The and Reckless Series. The Reckless Series. And um, um, Fatal. Fatal. Yeah. But, really um, good writer. Really good writer. And uh, before he was doing that stuff, he was uh, he was cashing a check from Marvel. <laughs> uh, doing some, some really nice um, stuff on Uncanny X-Men. Um, yeah. 
He doesn't do any more superhero stuff. But his uh, run on Captain America, Daredevil, really yeah. good. Yeah. No, it's, uh, he had, um, he, matter of fact, he was the one for years and years, Marvel had a thing where uh, you'd never bring back, the two people you can't bring back from the dead in Marvel were Uncle Ben and Bucky. Yep. Because if you bring Uncle Ben back, that's Spider-Man's motivation for, for everything. Yeah, you know? and, and Bucky just doesn't work in modern day. And Bucky doesn't, yeah, and, and you know, and so, but Brubaker went to Joe Quesada, who at the time was editor-in-chief at Marvel, and said, listen, if I sit you down in this hotel lobby and I tell you a story for 10 minutes and uh, it blows your hair back, um, can we bring Bucky back from the dead? And, and, <laughs> and Quesada said, sure, let me hear it. And so Brubaker pitched everything from the winter, from the death of Captain America to the Winter Soldier, to you know the um, the with the Soviets, uh, the the brainwashing program, the whole yep. nine yards, and Casada said, "Let's do it." Yeah. Just because the point being that if the story is there, then the story is there. You don't just bring back somebody for the dead just from for the sake of yeah yeah, yeah. shock value yeah. But um, and so I'm glad he did because now the Winter Soldier's turned into such a great character that we never would have had if Casada had stuck to the rule of, of yep. yeah. Yeah, and I can say, like, if anybody wants out, I don't know if we have any of the trades here, but Ed Brubaker's Captain America run, Mm -hmm. one of the best modern runs on a book. I would agree, because he had Steve Epting on the art, too. Oh, God. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, his run on Uncanny was really good. I forgot, like, he when he left Uncanny, he, he was basically tagging out with Matt Fraction. Like they did, like the last few issues. Like I forgot about that year, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, Fraction's good. Yeah, good writer, though. Mm-hmm. Mike? I'm going to tell you, it was hard to follow up Grant Morrison's X Men. Obviously, <laughs> it was groundbreaking. Uh, I'm going to throw, I hate to mention the name after so much uh, trouble that's come out from this guy lately, but I, you know, I love the comic. I have to say it. Um, Joss Whedon, man, his astonishing X Men was awesome. Yep. And we didn't mention John Cassidy in the last episode because we're doing a different mm. segment for writer and right. for artist. Uh, but no, his 14 issues of X-Men really, really Of astonishing, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, the um, the thing that got me about astonishing was, you're right, the John Cassidy art was beautiful, mm-hmm. but it uh, it brought back one of my favorite characters, which was Colossus. Oh, yeah. You know, Colossus had been dead with a legacy virus before that for maybe 10 years, 12 yep. years. And if you've never read Astonishing X-Men, there is an incredibly touching scene. I'm having goosebumps right now. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking about it. I can picture the panels in my head. Yeah, because Kitty Pryde's my favorite. Where Kitty Pryde's on a ship, and she's she's assuming Colossus is still... I mean, she doesn't know. He's been dead for 10 years. And she's exploring, and she's phasing through these walls. And when she does, she phases in this room. And Colossus, uh, he's running the other way, and he ends up running right through her while she phases. And uh, and she touches her heart after he passes through her, and it's just it's such a sweet moment if you know the history between Kitty Pryde and Colossus. Yep. But yeah, Josh Whedon just for that scene alone, his run on Astonishing was uh, was very memorable. Yeah, yeah. When um when they're on the uh, when they're on the the, the Quinjet going back, mm-hmm. and Colossus asks, you know, where did you bury me? And he said, they said Russia, and he pauses and says, thank you. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're a comic book fan, I mean, it just tugs at your heartstrings. And, and then we get also, the fastball special again. Oh, that's true. That's true. And also, that was a, in a time when comics, if I recall, the, the dialogue was becoming more modernized. And yeah, it, was. it was one of these earlier mm-hmm. comics where they were talking like real people, and I think that lent a lot to it as well. That's one of Whedon's uh, strong suits. Is mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And right before Beast became awful, <laughs> 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 still hammering the Dark Beast. Yeah. 
right, Mike, do you have any other ones before you? We... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I threw those, th- what, three out there? I think I'm going yeah, yeah. to sit there. So go. I've decided since we are, we're going all the X-Books, I'm mm-hmm. going to say Peter David's X-Factor. Okay. Uh, okay. Especially the later day ones when he brings in Jamie Madrox. Oh, yeah. Great and stuff. And it becomes like basically like a, a detective agency. Um, the best, I think one of the best runs, the way he uses multiple man's power is so inventive in the book where basically he splits off into a hundred different multiple men that go around the world, learn all these different skills, have all these adventures, and then merge back into him. Yeah, and that's my point about uh, what a good writer can do because before that, Jamie Madrox was such a boring character. Yep. And uh, But you, you have a good writer come in that can be creative with his powers yeah. and you're like, oh wow, look, look at all the stuff he can do. And we're talking about like great iconic scenes uh issue 13 i think of his first run or second run where quicksilver has to go see the therapist and there's the whole two pages explaining why quicksilver is such a jerk <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah as he's doing a puzzle of a snail <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah and just to give um a couple shouts out to people who we had on facebook this is some um x-men writers that people recommended uh our friend lance recommended uh chris claremont Mm-hmm. Stan Lee, we mm-hmm. forgot to we forgot to mention he was uh, Brown Michael Bendis. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and Peter David. All are great. X Men was my absolute favorite book back in the eighties and nineties. Daryl said Chris Claremont, Grant Morrison, and if it counts, Peter David's X Factor run is the best. It counts now. He and he echoes Ron. He says he made Multiple Man one of my favorite X Men characters. Okay, cool. Yeah. And our friend Carson. Uh, says he, uh, of course, he mentions Chris Claremont first, uh, but he says he'd also have to mention Mark Millar's run on Ultimate X Men. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah, to yeah, yeah. Account. Yeah, um, and Grant Morrison's New X Men, both incredibly written stories. And that's our pirate buddy, right? Correct, pirate. and uh, and Robin Hood. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think we're going to try to have him on soon to to talk about uh, the upcoming Pirate Fest or whatever. I think it's called Pirate Fest. I think it is. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. He's probably screaming at the right now, going, "No, it's not called that. It's <laughs> called Pirates of the Sunsphere." Except um, he's doing it in his pirate voice. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I think we got a lot here. Yeah. Um, so now we got to do the tough part. So what, what do we got? We got to figure out our five. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Claremont's so, definitely on there. So obviously, no Claremont's number. I'm gonna say is obviously number one. I think Claremont and Grant Morrison. Yeah. Yeah. Are both on there? Unquestioned. Yeah. Hickman, I have a little concern because his run is so short, and it's still going, right? That's fair. That's fair. Well, he's off, he's off the book. I well, think. but but technically, you know, yeah. what I'm saying that's what's left of his run. I would, um, golly, I tell you, I, I'm I, you've kind of you kind of swung me over with your uh, your Scott Liddell, yeah, okay, uh, you your Scott, Scott Liddell, Liddell argument, okay, um, only because I forgot how much I, I like those ones from the nineties. Yeah, I think he gets overshadowed from the artists that were on his books. Do we want to put Stan Lee in there? I feel like we have to because he created them. Because we're going OG, that basic right? concept. And even though Those people have changed them over kind of, time, right. the core concept stayed the same with Xavier in the school. And the I think movies. it would be remiss not to put Stan on there. Mm. Okay, Stan is fourth. Okay, I'm a little iffy on that one, but okay. you two, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only one I could think that we missed talking about, but I don't know if I would actually put him on here or not, was Fabian... Nessiesa? Yeah. yeah. Well, one. if we're going with Labdell, because they were kind of contemporaries. We'll do Labdell. So who is going to be our fifth then? Um, I say Peter David. I tell you. It's hard I, not to. Yeah. Everybody I, perked up with Whedon, though. 
We did. We did, but, but he's, again, he's only got short the astonishing. Very short, yeah. very short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. I'm going to go Peter David. Let's go Peter David. Okay, so we got Claremont. So we got Claremont. Lobdell. Scott Lobdell. Jim Lee. Jim, no, not Jim Lee. <laughs> Stan Lee. <laughs> Stan Lee. I was mixed up on writers and artists. Those Lee boys. Um, Peter David. Peter David. And um, oh my God, we're so Grant old. Morrison. And Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. Okay. Respectable. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good list. Oh, it that's is. a strong list. Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to be doing next, and we'll put it up. We're going to be doing Superman next. All right. Uh, we're going to go back and forth between Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. And it's also because it's the uh, Superman's uh, 85th birthday. God, wow. Man. He's looking incredible for 85 years. He is looking really He's got really that good. Sylvester and Stallone. <laughs> this is weird, coincidentally. Yeah. It's also Clark Kent's 85th birthday. Wait a minute. What are you hey. trying to say, Ron? Mm. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it's... Mm. it's it's weird that they're both the same build. You're trying to imply something. They have the same eyes. Oh, oh wait, no. One wears glasses. Yeah, so. see, that's what you were forgetting. The other one cuts his hair a little different. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned uh, some listener suggestions. I believe mm-hmm. there's also a question we had. We have a question. Oh, yeah. We did. Coming we in had hot. A, uh, we get questions. We had a question. So we actually two questions. Um, the first one, this is from a, a listener named Brian Folden. Okay. Shout out to Brian. Shout out. Huge... Uh, Huge Oakland A's fan, by the way. Sorry about the Oakland A's this year, Brian. So his first question was, what's your guy's problem with Vanilla Sky? <laughs> Whoa. Apparently last podcast, he says that we were unduly harsh on the Tom Cruise movie Vanilla Sky. That's he a says, bad movie. He says we should watch it again, Ryan. No. What do you say to that? <laughs> I say I will not be watching it again, sir. <laughs> it's, um, his second question is... So that one didn't seem like, oh, yeah, he said, why are you so hard on Vanilla Sky? Right. It, it, I think it's, yeah. I think he phrased it, oh, what's your problem with Vanilla yeah. Sky? But uh, his second question, he says, if you are having to rank your greatest personal, personally, who you think are the great, the greatest comic book villain of all time Ooh. would be. Yeah, and, and then we're going to have to, in another episode, do like uh, uh, Mount Rushmore, because this is going to be too hard. Um, we could maybe do like a eighteen bracket tournament or something yeah. for, wow, wow. for villains, but yeah, it's 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 tough. It's tough, Ryan. So I mean, it, I, my immediate thing I, I do is I split it between Marvel and DC, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's and if I'm just thinking off the top of my head with Marvel, yeah, I, the first one that comes to mind is Doctor Doom, yeah, because Ooh. when I was a kid, he was the first villain I ever heard referred himself in the third person. <laughs> He's got an iconic look. That, he has an iconic that look. Nobody's really changed over the. 50 or 55, 60 years that he's been around. He's mastered both science and the dark arts. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh... The only fortunate, unfortunate part for him, he's kind of locked in with the Fantastic Four. So, well, now Secret Wars, you know, he was, he That's had the Cosmic true. Cube. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. But, um... I think he's a fascinating character. I think the only thing that hurts him is that they, he's been miscast in the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They haven't, there hasn't really been a good... Do- when, they, when you cast a Fantastic Doctor Doom... I imagine like Denzel Washington in Training Day. Okay. You know, that kind of attitude. Give um, John Hamm the role. I remember, I think it was a Spider-Man cartoon. Um, or no, I think it was the FF cartoon. Okay. And he's looking, it's Doom, and he's in the Doom Doommobile, and he's looking for the Baxter building. Okay. And so he stops at this gas station, and he asks the gas attendant, he says, uh, can you tell Doom where the uh, the Baxter building is? <laughs> and the, the gas station attendant's like, gee, mister, if you make a left on this street and you go down the other street and make a right, you can't miss it. It's right there. <laughs> and uh, Doom's like, um, Doom will now go and destroy the insolent fool. And, and, yeah, and, um, and the poor gas station attendant, before Doom leaves, he goes, 
He goes, geez, mister, it's a long way. You might want to fill up on gas before you go. And, uh, and Doom turns around and blows up the guy's gas station. Oh. Like, just, it, it, it's one big fireball. Yeah. And then Doom, as he's driving off, he's like, you insolent fool, no one tells Doom when to gas up. Like, <laughs> awesome. that was his, and I remember thinking as a kid, I was like, man, this is a true villain. Yeah. Because here's a guy. Trying he, to help him. He didn't even try and stop him, Ryan. No. He didn't try and puncture his tire. <laughs> yeah. He didn't call the FF and say, Doom's headed to the Baxter building. He said, geez, mister, you may want to gas up, but you know, okay, it's a long way. Here's, may- here's the thing I have a problem with that. Okay, you're a super scientist. Yeah. You can't invent GPS. <laughs> or you can't look up in the sky and see the Baxter building. You know, it's a, uh, Doom didn't have time for that kind of nonsense, Ron. <laughs> no. He was looking for the yeah. most direct way. And, uh, but, uh, but Doom's so, a good pick. Doom, and, and, then, and then when I think DC, you know, the, the first two that come to mind are Joker and Luthor, right? Okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, so. I mean, so without getting too deep into it, because uh, we're saving that for a future podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's immediately where my mind goes. I think your mind is going to great places. Yeah. What about you, Mike? For me, it's hard not to think of Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, just okay. because of how personal the connection that he and Peter had. And yep. the whole Gwen Stacy thing, that, that might be one of the greatest villain triumphs that, of all time. He just yep. straight up killed the hero's girlfriend right yep. in front of his face, essentially, threw her off a bridge. So mm-hmm. that, yep. it's hard to argue against that one. It's tough. And uh, for DC, you know, like you said, Luthor uh, comes to mind. Joker, of mm-hmm. course. I'm going to throw Doomsday in there as well. That's okay, a good one. Yeah. He, he did kill technically Superman, so yeah. that's yep. a big one. Yeah, yeah. You can't do better than that. Bane, you broke a Batman's Damn, back, but man. you yeah. didn't kill him. Bane's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, my uh, for Marvel, it's probably looking like Kingpin. Oh, that's a good one. Because okay. I like that Kingpin was had was not only a part of Spider Man's Rogue mm-hmm. Gallery, but also mm-hmm. Daredevil's. Mm-hmm. And he works so well with both of them. Yeah. And he doesn't really even have any superpowers. No. No, he's just big and muscular and, yeah, he can kill you. Yeah, yeah, I like the... And then for uh, DC, if that hasn't been mentioned yet, um, probably Darkseid. That's who I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Darkseid. And if it goes Lex Luthor, it's got to be businessman Lex Luthor. I'm not a big (laughs) fan of mad scientist So in the 50s, I kind of dug mad scientist Luthor, but I grew tired of it, and now I'm with you. I've swung over to businessman Luthor. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Same way with Kingpin. Like, I prefer, like, in the 70s and 80s, he was doing the karate. Yeah. You know, he had the dojo, and he was wearing the gi. The gi. <laughs> right. yeah. and, uh, and I dug that for a while, because yeah. he was just snapping fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, then, when, um, later on, they kind of made him where he was just like a ruthless businessman, became mayor of New York. Yep. Um, bought Daredevil's identity for some heroin oh, yeah. to uh, Karen Page. Yep. And, and she oh, yeah. was a, a junkie. Yeah. And then to, proceeded to break down Daredevil's life. Yep. But yeah, so I kind of prefer more that, like the the conniving, diabolical aspect. Uh, to me, it's a little scarier than him just kind of karate chopping me in the neck. Yeah, and it's good too with him because there's that whole skill, that little kid that was bullied when he was little. That's oh, still yeah. A, yeah, yeah. a big part of who he is. It's there's a sad a, story. Chip Zardowski in his early in his that. run of Daredevil really mm-hmm. goes into mm-hmm. that in one issue where, where Kingpin, as the mayor, goes to fancy rich people's houses and they're kind of mocking him behind his back right. and he reverts to that little child yeah yeah oh, it's such a good yeah 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 that's a good question but yeah no no yeah it's a, it was a fantastic question i don't know how we're gonna yeah. sort it down to four <laughs> any uh free comic book news day stuff you guys want to mention um I know it's coming close so i know we have um to to echo it again we have um Fantastic Mr. Ron Otley in the store. Yep. 
Uh, he's agreed to do, I think he's going to be doing some remarks and sketches, and he's also going to have uh, posters, prints, artwork here he's going to sell. The uh, remarks are just the three characters, right? So I guess, what do you say, Omni-Man? Omni-Man, Invincible, and oh, no. Spider-Man, I believe. Was but, it? But yeah, so he's going to do, yeah, he's going to do three characters, um, just so he doesn't get hit with someone wanting him to, to do, like, uh, Animal Man or something where he's got to find a photo reference and it takes time and he hasn't he's never drawn Animal Man and yep and he's gonna do uh, he's gonna the first two um, signatures are free yes which is a fantastic deal because I know at conventions it's usually like ten or twenty dollars per signature and I know we had people um, send us uh, messages wondering are we gonna have Otley books here that people can purchase for the... Uh, so we will. There's going to be... Um, we'll have plenty of copies of, I think, Amazing Spider-Man number one and Hulk number one. And I think I found a bunch of copies of uh, different issues of Invincible. Awesome. And um, and I think CGC will be here. So if, if anybody does want to get some of this stuff uh, certified, graded, uh, we'll have um, access to that too. So it'll be for the uh, graded signatures. be 30 per book. Yes. Um, the hit sketches will be six fifty. Uh, busts are twelve fifty. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and then Otley will be doing remarks at 150, and the remarks are uh, Invincible, Omni Man, and Spider Man. Okay, so that was right. Yeah, so it's gonna be cool. Yeah. Uh, you'll be able to, you know, talk to him for a couple minutes and get something signed, get some stuff signed. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have any limitation on how much people can get signed. No, some people bring a lot of stuff depending on how many books they have. But the um, first two are free, and then I think it's five bucks after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, like I said, still much cheaper than it's gonna be at a convention. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and we've also posted, and we're going to do a lot more as we get closer. Um, he does a lot on his, his Instagram uh, showing, like, the, the art he does at new signings and stuff. Some really cool stuff. Like, I'm amazed that he can do such detailed stuff so fast. Yeah, yeah. I saw an incredible one. I was just Google imaging, like, Otley commission sketches. Yeah. And I saw one. He did a fing fang foom, and he was tearing up Reed Richards like taffy, just, like, stretching him out. Ooh, and there was, awesome. There's blood everywhere. Like, he, he does a lot of um, a lot of bloody sketches. He's really, he's kind of known for that from Invincible. And we hope to have a surprise <clears throat> with Ryan Otley that we're still, like, in negotiations. Fingers with. crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah. So. Um but yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, costume contest. We want to make sure to mention that. Really right. good contest. Uh, $100, $100, first $50, place for, second. I think we're going to have kids and adult categories, yep. right? $150 and $25. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. cards. So, so yeah, if you if you do show up in costume that day, we hope you do, definitely find Ryan that day. Ryan's going to be taking pictures, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just let me know. Yeah. Let me know because last year, I think I went to one or two people that yeah. I thought they were cosplaying, and they were just the regular clothes. It's best to ask, though. <laughs> yeah. You want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll take a picture, and uh, we'll uh, we have we'll have a panel of judges that will decide uh, the winners. Yeah, we have some expert judges coming in this year. Yeah, the, it's the awesome. cosplay council. Yeah. Oh, really good. Oh, oh, there, I like the Stanley alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> I would have came up with that. I'm your social media guy. I promise I would have came up with this. Um, Mike's nipping on your heels. Yeah, but it's fun. Hopefully we have better weather this year. Yeah. But I've, even if we yeah. don't, we'll still have fun. Oh, it's always a blast. Yeah, May 6th from 10 to 8. All day long. Uh, get here. If you want to get like the 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 big art from him, you, you yeah. probably need to get here a little early. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, it, it'll usually slow down around 3 or 4 in the afternoon, but, uh, but we'll have stuff all day. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, you can always come back to pick up your art, too, if yeah. you come early. Um, 
yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. My favorite day of the year. I'm excited. And if you're um, if you're new, if this is gonna be your first time in the shop, and you see some books, like a lot of times the free comic book stuff, like the Marvel and DC stuff, will be hinting at things to come. Mm-hmm. If you oh, see yeah. some books that you want, uh, let uh, Bill or Lane, mm-hmm. they'll be up the front. Let them yeah. know, and they can give you like one of our sheets if you want to sign up for subscriptions. Yeah. Um, and you can just bring it back in whenever you're ready to start. Oh, I can't no wait. obligations. No, the, no, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you start a book and you're like, I'm not feeling this book, yeah. it's okay to, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 really a day to uh, to put comic books in as many hands as possible, um, especially kids' hands. And if you do see something that you're uh, you're drawn to, like uh, Ron said, just let us know, and uh, that's what we're here for. Yeah, it's great because mm-hmm. you get twenty percent off. Yeah, and you're guaranteed the you're guaranteed to get the book when it comes out because a lot of times like if there's like a spider-man 7 for instance mm-hmm. just a couple weeks ago with the first appearance of spider boy right um that one went fast yeah i found yeah. that out the hard way <laughs> yeah. yeah but it, but if you had it if you were subscribed to it you were safe right right so yeah so it, it, it guarantees you the book and you get uh you get 20 percent off anything in the store so mm. you get 20 percent off your back issues your new comics your toys and then um also it's uh free bags and boards yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely the way to go if you're if you want to actually start collecting comics. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and the people that work here are really good at giving suggestions. So if you oh, yeah. if you're in the store that day and you want some suggestions, just ask. You know, come see. I'll be like a, a like a what is that, a Ronin. I'll be oh. wandering the store, taking Ooh. pictures of everything. So feel free to ask me, ask Bill, ask Lane, um, ask anybody. Ron, maybe be wearing a uh, Thor's helmet. Come on. <laughs> my head is too big to fit a helmet. One time. You've lost Maybe my once. Thor hammer. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> we'll make up for it, though. Yeah, it's going to be a great day. I'm excited. Um, all right, so book of the week. I'm going to... Uh, let me start with uh, one I'm super excited about, and it's the uh, the return of uh, Warlock. Adam Ooh. Warlock. So it's Warlock Rebirth, number one. It's written by Ron Mars. And drawn by Ron Lim. Oh, classic team. Which is a classic 90s. Uh, they did a lot of cosmic stuff back in the 90s on Silver Surfer together. Yep. And um, so, basically, this is Marvel's way of introducing readers to Adam Warlock, who's going to be, I guess, kind of a main character in Guardians 3? Yep. Um, Let's see. People are already calling in for, for that <laughs> issue. <laughs> <clears throat> the one I'm most excited about this week is uh, the return of Adam Warlock and Warlock Rebirth number one. Okay. And so it's it's a way for Marvel to kind of to introduce a lot of people to Adam Warlock, who's going to be a main character, I guess, in Guardians 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's written and drawn by Ron Mars and Ron Lim. Classic. So really a, classic, yeah. Yes. They, if you remember, they did a lot of uh, seminal work on Silver Surfer back in the 90s. And uh, so this is right up their alley, and it's a... Um, if you were ever a fan of that era of with Pip the Troll, Adam Warlock, Thanos, uh, this kind of harkens back to that and kind of gives you an updated take on his origin. Mm. Um, he came out of Fantastic Four as um, there was a, a couple called, I think it was him and her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, before he even had a name, he was just called him. Um, so this kind of is, is a retelling of the origin for people who aren't that familiar with Adam Warlock. That's cool. And kind of, it looks like it's going to be kind of a great, go through like a greatest hits. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And that comes out uh, tomorrow. So tomorrow. Uh, or the day, probably the day that this podcast goes mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So uh, the 19th. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, I don't think that anyone would say that Zeb Wells has their favorite Spider-Man run. I mean, it's possible, like Beloe says, some comic is always someone's favorite comic. But even out of questionable or even bad runs, I think good things can still happen. And there's a character that spawned out of Zeb Wells' Amazing Spider-Man run that I'm a big fan of. I think it's a cool idea. I'm shocked that no one has thought of this idea before, but it's a female character named Hollow's Eve. Mm -hmm. It is a Halloween-themed character, which is super cool. Not only does the visuals fit the Spider-Man aesthetic very well, I love the Halloween theme, and she's got these masks. She can put on different masks to gain different abilities at different times. I just think that's all really super cool, and I was happy to find that the comic itself is actually really good. Oh, okay. I expected to roll my eyes and you know have this perhaps be just a mediocre book, but I, I thought it was actually pretty solid, so I'm going to go ahead and have to recommend the new Hollow's Eve issue. I believe it's number two. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, mine is going to be... I'm going to do the legacy numbering here. Yeah. Uh, She-Hulk 175. Yes. Yeah. Um, so She-Hulk is one of those one those books that Undercover has had some really good writers on it over mm -hmm. the years. John Byrne. For a long time. Uh, Dan Slott. Mm -hmm. right. I think Mark Wade had a run. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the new run by Rainbow Rowell right. has been fantastic. And this is like a character who has not had the best decade. <laughs> There's been some really bad She-Hulk stuff that's happened over the past decade. The last, I think, two runs of She-Hulk have not been that good. Iffy. Yeah. Um, but Rainbow Rowell has done a really mm. good job. Kind of harkening back more, like, kind of still funny She-Hulk, but kind of with the romantic side with the Jack of Hearts. Yeah. Um, well, she she had a good run on uh, Runaways, too. Yeah, yeah, she did. And I think the artist from Runaways is joining her, joins her on this book, too. But uh, tons of cool covers, if mm -hmm. you're... If you like the variant covers, uh, but yeah, 175 comes out tomorrow. I think it's it's double size, but not like crazy. No, I think it's 4.99. Yeah, but definitely worth it. Uh, She-Hulk 175, or if you're not a legacy person, She-Hulk 12. You should be a legacy person. Be a legacy person. <laughs> Come on. Come on. All right. So at this point, Mike, I think we're gonna wrap this up for people who don't want to stick to the after credits. Yeah, I mean, you should stick to the credit. It's going to be good stuff. Of course, yeah. talking about that WWE sale, which is massive. But for those uh, those of you that don't, uh, we we understand and we we bid you adieu and wish you well for this part of the episode. I'm Mike D. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Bill. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Yeah, the other side of so the long. credits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so long. First WrestleMania 39, right? Seemed to be beloved by everybody. At least the first night. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know a friend of the podcast, Anthony Wilson, was love. I, I think he liked both nights up until the end of mm, night two. Mm, right. um, when Roman Reigns beat uh, Cody Rhodes. They, now, was that the expected ending? No. I think a lot of people thought Cody Rhodes was going to take it. Okay. Um, I thought maybe they would give it to Roman just because he's close to 1,000 days mm -hmm. as a champion, which I think is modern day the longest run. Yes, it's a, it's a massive run. Yeah. Um, so it's been really good, but a lot of people are like, oh, well, if... If Cody was going to to lose, why mm -hmm. not just have Sami Zayn? Because Sami Zayn was getting a lot of heat at that point, you know, just like have Roman and Sandy saying, uh, uh, Sami Zayn as the as the headliner. Mm. Um, what did you think of the two nights of WrestleMania, Mike? 
I, I really like them a lot. Um, usually, I think WrestleMania for me can be a bit of pomp and circumstance. I kind of roll my eyes sometimes just because it's more about the spectacle than the actual matches. But now mm-hmm. we have the Triple H run uh, WWE for the most part. And I really think that came through. I think of a lot of his storylines were culminating. A lot of the matches were actually pretty good. It, it's hard to spread everything over two nights, of course. Uh, with the Roman and Cody thing, at first I didn't like it, but I think if you did give the belt to Cody, he would have just kind of waltzed in the company and went straight to the title. And if, mm. you, if you look at the history with Dusty Rhodes, um, you know, Cody needs to see some some hard luck, baby. He needs to be down on his times, baby. <laughs> so so making him work for it a little bit and kind of resetting it, I, I don't mind looking at the big picture. But okay. I, I think it was exciting. I even like the celebrity stuff. Normally I hate the celebrity stuff at WrestleMania, but mm-hmm. I mean, Logan Paul did a fantastic job. The Snoop Dogg stuff was entertaining. Um, it was good. I love seeing Pat McAfee, of course. Him coming back was a huge surprise there for a minute. So I love that. So I enjoyed it. Well, it's one of the, my favorite WrestleManias, actually, in some time. It seemed like that. Like, I have a lot of friends uh, that do watch wrestling still. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like with Anthony, uh, Michael Shibley is on the show. A lot of people loved WrestleMania. And then the next day, <laughs> oh. um, well, the news hit first. Uh that WWE, it's been rumored for a while that someone was going to buy the WWE, and the reason, one of the reasons why Vince decided to come back uh, to shepherd this whole thing right. through. Um, but the company that owns UFC, right? Mm-hmm. Endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, now owns the WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what UFC gets from that. Well, the, the two companies are merging into a new company, and Ari, uh, what's his name here? Ari Emmanuel, Emmanuel mm-hmm. will, will be the overall boss of it. So Vince, for the first time, well, is going to have a boss. I guess what I'm saying, if I'm UFC, Mm-mm. and I've worked for five, ten years to get on ESPN Sports Center as a legitimate mm-hmm. sport, and to get on the Vegas sports books as a sport that you can gamble on, yeah. a legitimate sport to gamble on, now that I'm in bed with the WWE, which is sports entertainment, I'm just yep. curious if that dilutes my product as far mm. as like the legitimacy of it going forward. Mm. Yeah. Um, because you're going to probably maybe see some interplay between oh, I'm sure. WWE guys going to UFC or UFC guys maybe dropping in. Probably that way. Yeah. 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 But uh, so I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm assuming that the, obviously the money is huge, but I'm just curious, you know, for, for a company like UFC that, that spent so much time trying to gain legitimacy. Uh, if this is going to be a long-term plus or a long-term minus. I'm, I've read things that they're actually going to work hard to keep them separate because of that legitimacy. So I think okay. I think we could see advertisements, but I, I question whether or not we'll actually see the people crossing over because just like you said, I, I don't know that they want to blur those lines because the UFC is known as being very authentic and legitimate with the fighting. So. Right. So I, I, I just wouldn't want to see like the... Um, the XFLification of, <laughs> to where all of a sudden, like they're like, well, now in the NFL, we're gonna have uh, go in the locker rooms and see if the players are dating the cheerleaders, which yeah, is one yeah, of the things yeah. that Vince yeah. encouraged in the XFL. So I just kind of hope that we don't see that kind of that that type of storytelling brought into the UFC, and they're like, well, we can make these guys much bigger stars if um, Usman comes out or Nomega Bedot. I can't say the names, but they can edit that off. But it, we, if, if these UFC guys, if they come out and they start running um, straight up professional storyline face and he'll yeah, get yeah, he'll yeah. gimmicks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know, but I know like one big concern that mm-hmm. a lot of the, uh, the WWE fans were having once this was announced was the worry that they were going to go back to pay-per-views uh, like $50 pay-per-views. Right. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen because I'm sure they have some kind of deal with peacock for a couple of years still mm-hmm. and it just seems like once you 
took this genie out of the bottle, it's going to be hard to put it back in because people have been used to uh, not paying for the pay-per-views for like a good six or seven years since the WWE Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of people are like, mm, no, I'm not going to go back to it, especially once they do like an event every month. Because that's the UFC business model, right? The pay-per-view business model? Yeah, I think they mm-hmm. do one every month, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Vince McMahon has um, burned himself deal. He gets to tell his own uh, biographical story. Uh, <laughs> he gets com- complete, really? Creative complete control, control mm-hmm. of the Vince McMahon story. That's if they do weird. that as a film. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm sure he wanted. And especially, I would imagine he'd want that after what's came out in the last couple of years of what kind of a monster he is. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you all this, because I didn't watch... Uh, and I, this, I used to love WrestleMania... But I didn't watch this year's WrestleMania. I haven't watched WrestleMania in a while. But I did see the highlight with Shane coming back. <laughs> and I did see... So he, he does the leapfrog, right? Yep. And I guess he blew out maybe an ACL or two ACLs. I'm not yeah, sure if it was yeah, one yeah. knee or two knees. Yep. But it got me to thinking that when I was watching wrestling years ago, Shane was kind of set up to be mm. the the future of the WWE. yep. yep. And Stephanie was kind of in the background. Yep. And then all of a sudden, like I started tuning in a couple years ago, and now Stephanie was was with Triple H, was primed to take over, and Shane was nowhere to be seen. Yep. So I was just kind of curious what brought about this return of Shane, or if that's going to be... They probably thought it was just going to be a big, fun WrestleMania Just a WrestleMania thing. Just one time, we're bringing back, because people love Shane in the jersey, and he's... Okay. And that's the second McMahon billionaire that we've saw kind of get hurt, like, coming into the ring because it happened once with Vince McMahon yeah, and he right. completely collapsed and then he just basically <laughs> sat there and screamed at everybody. <laughs> um, so on point for Vince. Since you didn't watch this WrestleMania, right. I will say the Shane thing, I hate to be mean, but mm-hmm. it was really hilarious because he runs down to the ring, mm-hmm. jumps into the ring, instantly blows his quad and then rolls oh, out. There was yeah. there was like nothing that happened. He got into the ring, it explodes and he just goes, ah! And just well, he, does do, he does do a leapfrog, right? Like he leaps no, over the... He, no. He, he just not? gets in the ring, he does, he, he does a little backpedal kind okay. of taunting thing he does yeah. he goes into that and just blows his knee out yeah and then they had what snoop dog had yeah. to feel right so had the to... abachamania picked up uh the referee yeah. kind of instructing uh snoop dog to punch, to punch yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it was uh it's the beauty of live television mm-hmm. one thing that was really cool is um so afterwards they do they now do like the press conferences like mm-hmm. it's like how the USC does after their events Great. and Triple H was talking about there was dancers that came out for Bianca Blair who's, oh, a, awesome. who's yeah. a hometown hero here yeah um, and one of the dancers mother had passed away the night before Ooh. and Triple H was talking about how amazed he was with this girl that with everything that was going on in her family to be able that to she still wanted to show up and still perform. perform yeah. yeah. So Triple H, hmm. awesome person, I think. Yeah, um, so then the next night is Raw. And um, I didn't watch any of it, but oh my God, I saw, I don't know if this is hyperbole or not, but people were calling it the worst Raw in the history of Raw. Oh, that was trending as a tweet. Wow. Yeah, it was getting uh, Fs across the board. Um, I know it's super low rated. Uh, what did you think of it, Mike? After the highs of <clears throat> WrestleMania. Honestly, I did not watch it myself simply because I read how bad it was and the specific reasons was that it, it backpedaled so much on all the positive stuff they'd built over the, since SummerSlam. I mean, the storylines have been better, the matches have been better, and apparently, because Vince was there and he could, he's still sneaking in this one last little thing he can while mm-hmm. all these chains are taking place. He comes in and just takes that raw over 
and apparently there were no matches in the first hour of the show and it just reeked of his his concepts and everything and one thing that he's known for in the past is going on in every raw like they spent days writing it and he'll come in the day of and just rip the script up and mm-hmm. just rewrite it all himself anyway that day and it, it stressed everybody out always and since triple h has taken over the shows are established days before and it's just there he comes in this monday night raw and just does the whole thing takes it all over and apparently stunk the whole thing up and it really in a way it made the stuff that triple h has been doing stand out and look better so right. uh, but no there's a huge backlash <laughs> and, and based on that and the and the three hour length of Raw, like I was like, I'm not going to watch three hours of this yeah. if it's if it's just Vince's ideas over again. And uh, they bounced back. Vince has not been back since. And the Raws and Smackdowns have turned around. Have they? Okay. Yeah, they have. And it's sad too. It made me sad because I heard at that Raw, uh, Triple H comes out at the beginning and goes, "Hey, nothing's going to change." Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking more about the UFC buyout and stuff like that. But people were like, "Okay, he's going to stay as the head writer right. here." But no, Vince Man's he's a meddler. With his mustache. (laughs) Yeah, you know he was twirling it as he was rewriting it. Brock Lesnar's going to betray Cody. (laughs) And by the way, Brock in the cowboy hat is like so dumb. You think so? What is the thing like when wrestlers get older, they have to become cowboys. Mm. Like Shawn Michaels... Brock Lesnar. It's only two, but that's enough for a trip. <laughs> well, Brock does live on a ranch up in Canada. I think he, uh, you know, he basically just chases deer down and tackles them and breaks their neck. I think huh. is, is how he takes care of that. But uh, I've liked Cowboy Face Brock. It looks like he's having fun for the first time in a long time. So I don't know. I think it's cool. Here's a trivia question to end the night. Nice. Um, so we talked about Roman Reigns being the uh, right now almost a thousand days. Mm-hmm. Who are the top three heavyweight, the longest heavyweight runs in? Uh, WWEWWF WWWF run. I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund, good job, is number three. I'm gonna say 2,135 days. And then, uh, then I'm gonna say it's gotta be Hogan, right? Uh, Hogan is on here at number four. Oh, uh, 1,474 days. Okay, mm. so. Th- then Roman Reigns, right? Roman or, Reigns. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Roman Reigns wouldn't be. It would be. Um... One person's on here twice in the top five. I'm going to throw out Bruno San Martino. He's probably That's the big it. one, right? Uh, okay. Number five with 1,237 days with the WWWF heavyweight champion. And then uh, number two uh, with the world heavyweight champion, 2,800 mm. days. And 2,803 days. For San Martino? Yep. Okay. Wow. Um, I don't think anybody's going to guess number one. Uh, and it's insane. Nobody's ever going to reach this. It's like an old school one, too, right? Is it old yeah, school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's old school. Older, uh, probably Older. around Bruno and Bob Backlund time. Mm. It had to be before Backlund. Yep. Before. I don't think anybody's going to guess it. If I give you a hint here, you would totally get it. Dang, San Martino's about as far back as I go. I'd like to say that I knew that, but... L- Luthez? Ooh. No, uh, the Fabulous Moolah. Uh, oh. Listen yeah. to this. Oh, no, no, yes, this is With insane. the WWF Women's Champion, yeah. 10,170 <sighs> days. Years she had She began belt. in the 1940s, and in 1956, uh, she won the Battle Royal and claimed the vacant NWA world women's championship which she eventually purchased the rights to in the 1970s and brought to the wwf in the early 1980s uh rebranded the wwf women's champion Mm. mula was touted as holding the title for 28 years 
Um, the 28 year daughter. Yeah. She uh, was what? beaten by one of her former students, Wendy Richter. I remember Wendy oh, Richter. Yeah. yeah. Yep. A couple with that of her manager, music sensation Cindy Lauper. Was she called Rockin' Robin? Who? Wendy Richter? No, I don't okay. think so. I think uh, she just went by Wendy Richter, didn't and she? And then in 1984, as the brawl to end it all, um, Wendy Richter mm-hmm. defeated her uh, 10,170 days. Insane. Yeah, it's insane to me, too. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if they ever... I think they did. There was a bit during the 90s when Raw was more edgy right. where they did bring back Mula for one final run. Her and... Uh, they did. Who was her Shit. partner? Mark that, Henry? No, no. Oh, God. No, no. Who was the one that married... Uh, that, had a, that had a baby with Mark Henry? The... I uh, thought that, that was Mula. That yeah, was that, not Mula. Oh, it was uh, May Young. Oh, May Young. Yep. You're right. You're right. May Young, and then okay. she it gave birth to a hand. She did. It was yeah. so close. <laughs> yeah, it was so. It One was of the low points of all wrestling. And, and, and that guy, what's his name? Vince uh, Russo. Vince Russo. I'm the best writer in the WWE mm. history. You wrote this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's terrible. But that was a fun after credit scene. It wasn't anybody yeah. that's interested in all this, like the new direction WWE is going in at the end of the month, April 28th, and then I believe it's uh, May 1st, they're doing the draft. The first draft oh. that is officially kicking off the Triple H era where he's going to have full creative control. And I, I expect it to be awesome. I mean, we're going to see some characters rebooted and changed, and uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, he's going to change the game, as he said. And uh, AEW, AEW. AEW. AEW has a big event coming up, right? In mm-hmm. Wembley. Wembley. Yeah, which rumored is maybe this will be the first because there's been rumors they're going to start doing AEW stuff on HBO Max. Really, for a show? Yeah, yeah, that hmm. that might be the first event. Huh. Yeah. Well, it'd be crazy if they sell out Wembley, but ninety thousand. Yeah, That's huge. Suppose they have a lot of people signed up for the pre-orders. Yeah. Uh, Twenty-five thousand went in queue the minute they announced it. So. Yeah, is that Cons Federation? Yes. 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 Yep. Yeah. And the rumor is that CM Punk may be back now. Uh, they're in negotiations. The word on the street is for sure. Punk? I don't know if I, I mean... I don't know if I would want to be in the punk business. That's what I'm saying. I think I cut cut ties, right? Yeah. Now, here's the crazy thing is the rumor is that they're going to split AEW, and now they're going to give them a Saturday night show as well, kind of like Raw and SmackDown. And the reason they're doing this is because punk is so divisive to that company, they're going to put the people that like him on one show and the others on the other show. That's crazy. That would be insane. But, I, I mean, I'm sure he... The money must be there for Punk. Uh, it's been proven with their ratings and their merch sales. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know how I do that for one person. It's know. always yeah, a yeah. bad idea in wrestling mm. for you to yep. let one person. I mean, Hogan, basically, Hogan he sabotaged when, yeah, the yep. w, WCW had such a yep. strong run there for a while. and They then were he just, killing in the ratings. Yeah, he killed it. He and was my so buddy selfish. Said, my buddy said the night when he tuned in and, and Shivani was promoting, they're like, Big new NWO star tonight. Tune in to see who it is. Yeah. And he uh, tunes in, and it's Virgil getting out of the limo. Yeah. Uh, and yep. he said, that's it. He goes, I realized it then. It was just Hogan bringing in all his friends. Yeah. From, it's the so It was yeah, it's Rachel, the selfishness. Big Boss Man and Hop, yeah. uh, Nobs. And, and you, you had Sting up in the rafters for like a year. Right. And Sting finally comes down, and they do the smart thing. Sting beats him for the title. Which you have and, to. Yeah. Because and then I think a week or two later, Sting loses the title. Yeah. It was super short. Well, they, didn't they have a thing eventually where it was like the NWO versus it, it, the last remnants? It was like Sting, Flair, yeah, uh, and like two other people. It was like a four versus four, yeah. and of course, like the NWO just squashes them because Hogan had creative control. And then contract. Vince Russo came out, and then they did that thing, which I still don't know if that was real or not. Where uh, where the person laid down just for Hogan to depend. That's right. Uh, yeah. The yeah. finger point of doom. Or yeah. Poke of doom. Um, but yeah, Hogan. You have to give him credit for what he did for wrestling. He, 
I will say he took care of his friends wherever he went. That's yeah. true. And so. he's basically responsible for what happened in the 80s that made wrestling big. Oh, and yeah. then his swerve turned in the 90s it was huge. Was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but just his selfishness. Yeah. You know, that contract, it, it just killed him because they had to give him creative control. He had to be the highest paid person. on. So when they brought in Bret Hart, they had to bump up his contract. Yeah. And they had to give him that damn Paradise Alley show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was part, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Ted had to give him that. Oh, uh, yeah, to get on him TBS. Yeah. yeah, on TBS. Yeah. yeah, it was just one of those things where it was so weird to so, me that so many people, when Hogan was coming up, were at the age where they're like, you know, hey, we're going to put you over because you're the, you're the new generation. Yeah. It's just so weird that Hogan wouldn't do that. Yeah, mm. for some reason. Yeah. Well, look. I think I like talking about wrestling as much as I do comic books, but I feel like at this point we're causing physical harm to Bill's eyes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He needs those trunks. We don't need we don't need him to his eye to burst out again right before free comic book day. No, no, no. So everybody, okay. thanks for hanging out on yep. the other side. We hope you enjoyed the wrestling talk, and uh, I don't know, that's uh, that's good shit, pal. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye. I like at the credits that we cuss. <laughs> I said chill, up and down there.